Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. So BTU Metals has been around for a number of years now, but its primary focus is a project in Red Lake. And when Great Bear Resources, who made what I consider to be one of Canada's great uh, gold discoveries uh, in about 2018, and they've been working through that, uh, the company, before I was involved, started acquiring land and they've accumulated almost 200 square kilometers. So a very extensive property in an area in Northern Ontario that really is outside of the Red Lake Gold Camp, which has production and reserves of about 30 million ounces. But this area to the southeast of Red Lake had really been kind of neglected, partly because uh, the geology was misunderstood and partly because uh, it was all overburden cover. So there was very little geological information to, to uh, work with. So the company started acquiring uh, this large land position. Great Bear has been a great Canadian success story. It's, it's now trading at about, uh, gee, I haven't checked the price, lately, but probably around 15 or $16. Got a market cap of something in the range of $800 million. And uh, they're in the middle of doing a huge drill program with six machines uh, and continue to uh, outline what appears to be a large open pit, high grade gold deposit right in the Canadian Shield, right next to Exxon Infrastructure. So. As much as we're uh, adjacent to them, we're also doing a, what we consider to be a really good job of, uh, of putting together enough information so we understand the geology in order to go make the next uh, great gold discovery. Right. Okay. I, I can, having looked at your presentation and the various maps and the way that you you you, know, you encroach onto you butt right up to Great Bear's uh, property and, uh, and you're kind of wrapped around it slightly. I can see why you'd want to make those parallels, but you won't be the first company that's come on here and talked about closeology, neurology in the head frame, et cetera. You, you're a 16 million market cap company at 16 cents. You've been at it a while. Why is now the time for people to be looking at your story? When we started working on the project, we had very little in the way of a geological database and very little in the way of a geophysical or geochemical database. So part of what our uh, uh, methodology has been is to actually go in and create all of these databases so that we actually have a way of honing in or vectoring in on, on really good sound targets. And this is a, keep in mind, this is a 200 square kilometer area with only a handful of outcrops and very little in the way of historic geological information. So part of what we've been doing is layering in uh, better geochemistry uh, using till sampling as one of the techniques, which has really been developed over the last 20 or 30 years. And we use it to find a gold deposit in Timmins. Uh, the Rainy River gold deposit was found using that. Casa Berardi in Northern uh, Quebec was found using that. So it's a, and we use it for Bell Creek in Timmins. What, what is it? So till sampling is, when the glaciers rode across the Archean bedrock, it ground up bits and pieces of the of the bedrock and entrained in that are little specks of gold if there was gold in the bedrock. So we then go, so it gives you a larger um, area to go and focus on. So if you can go and find some gold grains and you can, and there's a whole science behind analyzing the gold grains to see whether or not they're pristine or modified or rounded, as, uh, that will help indicate how far they've traveled. And so by finding pristine gold grains, you know you're not far from the source. So that's one of the things that we've been doing. Uh, we also flew a drone airborne survey. Uh, we've done uh, you know, state-of-the-art airborne geophysics in order to define a, a base metal target that we were working on. We've done ground geophysics. 
we do a lot of induced polarization surveys. So if you think of the, of the uh, power that we put into the ground, so we put electrodes in the ground and we charge the ground up and then we measure how long it takes for that uh, charge to disappear from the ground. So you, you, the earth can act like capacitors and they can hold that charge for a while. So if you have me minerals like pyrite, arsenopyrite, uh, base metal minerals, they'll hold the charge longer. And so you'll end up with a map. So you can actually map out areas that uh, have potential to have more sulfide mineralization with them. And, and uh, that is often where you'll find the gold mineralization as well. So there's a, there's a whole toolbox that we've been using to try to hone in on these targets, but it takes time. It takes a couple of years just to get all the survey data and then go back and kind of refocus again on certain areas that you like the results of. Uh, you know, we're not doing this the way a major company would do it and walk in and, and just blanket survey the entire 200 square kilometers, we'd be broke in a nanosecond. So what we've been doing is using the historical data that's available, uh, using these various techniques, and we use the lower cost ones to do more blanket surveys and then hone in with the more expensive surveys before we go and actually drill the holes. Okay, so you're, it's really early stage. You're making comparisons to an eight, $900 million company. It's your really early stage. You've got, how much money have you got in the bank? We've got about 1.3 million at this point in time. Right, and that's going to last you how long? Uh, well, our burn rate, our corporate burn rate is less than 40,000 a month, so we're fine on that side. We've got some flow-through money that will be spent by the end of the year. There's probably about a half a million or so that will be spent by the end of the year or into early part of next year if we have to get a COVID extension. So far, COVID has not actually stopped any work up there. It's made it a little bit more expensive and slowed us down a little bit, but it's not made any uh, major impact. So, so far, everything's good. And it looks like Canada's actually coming at the other side of that at this point. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to understand, and maybe it might be worth you explaining, is what's the plan here? Because we're seeing lots of Canadian companies put up big headlines, raise lots of money, and really get after some of, the, some of these properties out there. And it's going well. I mean, the gold environment is... It is 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 good. Um, what's your approach going to be? Are you you after headlines? Are you looking to irritate your neighbours so that they take you out? Are you looking to develop this yourself? I and mean, what's your approach? Well, I don't think we're there to irritate our neighbours, and we like to think that we've got a pretty good working relationship with our neighbours. There are they are good people. They're really good um, uh, explorers, and we we have a lot of respect for them, and we get along quite quite well. In fact, our core shacks almost touch each other. There's literally a, a walkway between their core shack and our core shack. So it's, uh, no, we have, a, we have a good relationship with them. We think they've done a very, very good job. And they're, they're spending, they've, they've got about 70 million in cash right now uh, and an $800 million market cap. And I think they're going to be, you know, they're well on their way to outlining something on the order of 10 million ounces of gold in that you know, that's fairly near surface and probably open pitable. And certainly there's going to be some depth extent to that mineralization as well. Uh, the main trend where they've got this brand new discovery is called the LP fault structure, which it sounds like something that you would be able to walk along and actually define, but it's more of a, an area of mineralization as opposed to a discrete fault. And so we're not sure where that extends and whether or not it actually cuts through the northeast corner of our property or not. And we've done a little bit of drilling in that area, but not a lot. We've got some good looking core in for analysis right now. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think maybe people should be interested in BTUs. If we do come out with a headline hole, uh, this is a classic, uh, uh, 10 bagger, if, if that's what you want to use as the kind of analogy that you have a share price that could go from 15 cents to a buck and a half in, in uh, no time. 
you know, I was involved in the very early days of the Hemlo discoveries in Northern Ontario, which everybody in Canada is aware of, but maybe other people aren't. And again, that was an area right on the, on the Trans-Canada Highway where people didn't understand the geology and hadn't spent enough time and effort on. And we went in there and between ourselves and, and a couple of other companies, we outlined three mines that mine the same deposit. And if I were to think that, you know, in that case, there were three mines on the same deposit. In most gold camps, it, there are several mines, and I don't think there's any that I can think of in Canada where one company has all of the gold on their property. So I think there's there's really good potential that we could find something on our ground. Okay, so that you're talking about that property just on the nor- northeast tip, which lies along that same, I know it's not a fault, but it's an area that you're talking about that Great, Great Bear has. That's that's one tiny aspect of what you've got. I mean, what what... How are you allocating 1.3 million bucks or half a million of that 1.3 million bucks between now and the end of the year to get the market excited to be looking at you? I mean, so you talked about some drilling. I mean, how much drilling are we talking about? We've got about uh, eight holes in the lab right now, and a couple of them look really good. Um, you know, we've uh, pulled the market about that. We think that structure is uh, going to require additional drilling. Uh, we've Got new targets that we've outlined. As I said, we're doing this layering where we're getting geophysical information as well as geological information and the till sampling, and that's pointing us to certain targets uh, away from that northeast corner as well. So there's a uh, northeast to southwest trending fault structure or strong deformation zone all the way across our ground. And so we've been doing IP geophysics as well as kill sampling to try to define targets further to the southwest as well. And so we've uh, invested that money last year and early this year into getting those targets defined. And in the next month or so, we'll start another drill program and we'll actually be going in and drilling short holes to test a number of different targets. So, to, and, so how many holes, how deep? You know, typically we're drilling about 150 meter holes. They uh, they don't have to be terribly deep. We don't, uh, these geophysical targets actually give us a pretty precise location as to where we're going to call the hole and where we expect to hit the uh, the target zone. So we can, we can get in there with some fairly short holes and in some cases are only going to be 100 meters, but um, we'll get in there with probably another dozen holes between now and sometime early mid-fall. So, and you talked about two of the eight holes looking quite good. I mean, is that going to be enough to get, again, the market interested, your shareholders to be happy, for you to be able to raise more money, which you're going to need to do? I mean, how, it's tough. You know, down this end, it's really tough, right? Not many of the companies that down at this end of the, the, the market make it. So, you know, there's lots of ways that you guys are going to play this. So, again, how... How, how do you, what happens if these two holes aren't good enough to excite the market? You've got eight holes, people go, okay, great, now what? How do you, how do you play well, it? That's, that's always the story with these really junior companies is you know, you're always kind of uh, flying by the seat of your pants trying to come up with a, enough good, good news to uh, have investors want to give you more money to do more work. And so what, that's our job. And I think you, know, you need a strong management team, you need good operators, you need to try to find a way to have a business plan that, I'm not saying undercuts anybody else, but gets away from the way major companies explore. Uh, and in fact, that's why you'll see a lot of the major companies end up doing deals with juniors is the juniors are actually much more uh, cost efficient when it comes to doing exploration. We just, we know how to do things cheaper than major companies. So. Yeah, you know, we don't have a ton of money, but we have enough money to go in there and, and actually carry out a really solid business plan over the over the next, call it nine months, I would say. 
I think we could get to Christmas and we could be maybe not drilling continuously, but almost continuously evaluating targets. Okay. So let's let's talk about the um, team actually here, because some of this is going to be based on people's belief in you as a team and what you've done before. So can you maybe run through? So um, I think we were going to um, be speaking with Paul today um, as well. Maybe maybe kick off with yourself and then run, run through the, the, the people who are actually in the company doing things as opposed to just named individuals. Well, I can tell you a little bit about the board. So we've got uh, Mike England, who's a longtime junior mining guy out of Vancouver. Um, we've got Margot Naughty on the board, who used to be with TD here in Canada and, and ran the resource portfolio for them. And, um, uh, and then we've got uh, Vic on the board as well. Uh, Vic has been a long-term mining guy. He was actually part of the founding group for Yamana and, uh, and also for Osisco. He was the chair of Osisco at one time. So, I mean, good, strong uh, people on the board. And Paul, the, the CEO, has been around the resource industry directly and indirectly for, for a significant period of time as well. And he's more of a deal guy, but he's, uh, he's really done a good job of, of uh, shareholder communications and, and has really learned a lot. But these, these are all good names. And again, it's like all genius. Like you say, sometimes you fly by the seat of the pants. And that's just the name of the game, right? It's high risk, high return. And nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the way that you guys make decisions about the best path forward is really important. So what are, the, what are they asking of you to be able to go and do whatever it is that they, they think they're good at? You know, Paul, he's, he's a deal guy. That's what, you know, what have you got to deliver to him, say, um, to, you know, allow him to go and either raise more money or get someone, some kind of farm in or strategic partner or however, the, however he sees this thing going forward? Well, my background, I've been around for about 40 years now. I'm, I'm from Northern Ontario originally. And, uh, and actually, my grandfather did prospecting when he, he came north as a settler. So, I mean, I guess I come by it fairly honestly. Uh, but when I graduated, I worked for, uh, as you and I were talking a little bit earlier, I, one of the first things I did was went off to the Sudan and worked for a, a company looking for asbestos. I mean, I've looked for diamonds. We've looked for, you know, it's clearly gold. And I've, I've traveled around the world a lot like a lot of exploration guys, but been very successful at it. Uh, I was involved in in Hemlo and two of the mines there, we found Bell Creek in 1978 with a guy that I still stay in touch with, Bob Middleton, uh, who I have a lot of respect for. Uh, we created a company called Canadian Royalties in 1999, I guess it was. And we, you know, we went up to an area where nobody was really looking for nickel, copper, platinum, palladium. But it was about the first time that the when palladium had its first run, it went up to $1,000. And we took on a huge land position. And you know, we went in there and we found outlined eight different nickel deposits over a period of about five years. So, you know, it's about going in and trying to find um, opportunities where other people either missed them or weren't funded or, or just didn't understand the geology. So I think that's what I bring to the table and as well as a lot of contacts. And so we've got strong contacts, you know, whether it's geophysical contractors or, or um, drilling contractors. And I, and I know what we're doing when it comes time to getting those contracts in place, making people perform and bringing back uh, information that can then be put together, as, as I was saying, so that we can vector in on the best targets without spending you know, a ton of money. Right. So you want to do things honestly. You want to do things the, the right way. And you, Isn't that the only way? Apparently not. <laughs> 
apparently not. I should really talk to you about that. Let me talk to you about that because I'm intrigued by this because you, you, you know, you've been you've been at this forty years, okay, man and boy. Um, do you think the way that the markets operates has changed? Have you know? Have you had to adapt the way that? Um, you get these sorts of things off the ground compared to, okay, you talked about 1978, you know, it's been. Yeah, no, the industry's changed significantly. Uh, I don't think the premises have changed a lot. I mean, and, you know, even if you go back to the to the geological databases, I tell people the story and it's actually, it, it's something that you have to keep in mind. And I don't think uh, younger people really have a good feel for it. But if you go back and you look at, I can just pick one example. So if you go to Timmins, uh, an area where it's the largest uh, base, the deepest base metal mine in the world is located and, uh, and numerous, numerous gold mines. I mean, there's probably 50 or 75 gold mines there. But if you take an era and you go back through the geological database, call it from 1965, 64, 65, 66, uh, and you look at a geological drill log, everything that was a gray rock or a beige rock was called a rhyolite because the only way budgets got money was by having rhyolite because everybody was looking for the next Kid Creek, which was the large base metal mine. So every gray rock or brown rock became a, a dacite or a rhyolite. Wherein, in fact, if you read the details of the drill log, they'll describe things and you can clearly see that these were altered ultramafic rocks because they were carbonate altered, they were gray to beige, but it was either uh, they didn't know what they were doing or they were just trying to get the next budget money for the next drill hole. So I think, you know, when you're when you're going through uh, looking at areas, these are all kinds of tricks within the trade that you have to read between the lines and, and all of the old geological databases. Yeah, I, I think we see a lot of that today. Uh, Relabeling of uh, <laughs> of rock still happens today. So okay, so it happened before, it happened again, and and I guess it's from a position of slight desperation. You want to, you need the next uh, amount of money to come through to be able to continue to do the work. Um, human nature, I, I, I suspect. But but in your case, given we've established you're doing things honestly, um, coming back to the question, which is, what does your board? need you to deliver to make their jobs easier to go and raise the money that they need to move this project forward? Or, you know, what are, or what are the options that they've laid out to you available um, should the drilling not go well? Let's look at both those cases. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I think we're going to, we're going to get that uh, success story at some point along the way. We have come up with, um, you know, scattered assays on surface. We've come up with lots of gold grains and till sampling. We're going to go back and do some additional till sampling this year. Uh, I think that's a really good way to continue to generate interest in the project. Uh, all of our property payments are, are I'm just thinking, what, all but the brand new project that we took on, which is actually further to the Southeast, uh, all of the property payments are made, the share payments are issued. So we're in good, good standing that way. Our property position is in good standing for several years now. We, we're not under any pressure to uh, perform on that side. And even the new land that we took on further to the southeast this year was primarily based on the base metal potential of that property. We've outlined a really good target. Uh, we didn't know it was there when we took the project on. We thought there was an indication of another target to the east of what we call the TNT area, which is really a copper-silver mineralized area. And so when we got out there and did some additional geophysics, the one target we uh, were interested in didn't turn out to be great. It's there and we'll probably drill it at some point, but we found a really good one 
uh, further to the east. And so we're looking at the logistics of getting in to drill that one. One drill hole into something like that, if that turned out to be a base metal uh, zone of mineralization with good grades would, would change this company dramatically. And it would be the thing that would drive the stock uh, price from you know, 15 cents to a buck 50 kind of thing. It is the, uh, the real blue sky project. Uh, we'll get to that one. We've done all the geophysics. We know that it, from a geological point of view, we think that that's a VMS type setting. And so if you're looking at VMS style footwall alteration, you get copper and mineralization in the footwall, but where you're really looking for the strata bound larger sulfide deposits would be what we call upstratigraphy from there. And that's exactly where this new target is, is to the east, which would be upstratigraphy. So it's a really tantalizing target. We, we're the logistics to get to it are a little bit tricky just because of the water. But other than that, we'll, if we can't get to it sometime in the next three or four months, we'll get to it in the winter. Okay. But that's a great looking target. It's, it's, inter it's interesting. Can you, you kind of got a base metals component, you've got the gold component, but the gold component's the thing that you, you set out, you set out to uh, deliver and it's what Great Bear, your neighbor is doing. Um, and, you know, I guess I can see the traction of why, why you set out to do that. Do you think that there's the, the, there's a lot of gold companies out there for investors to look at? There's a lot going on at the moment. Um, do you think you'd be better focused on the base metals? Would that, does that strike you as a better way to spend your capital? Uh, there are a couple of aspects to that. So certainly I think uh, good base metal projects uh, command a, a significant value in this kind of a market. The, the, the good thing about base metal projects that they're VMS style mineralization, they show up as good geophysical targets. So they're, they're pretty confined, they're discrete, and we can actually go and, and drill that and it either is going to be there or is it, it isn't going to be there. And so uh, that aspect is good. The logistics on that one are a little bit tricky. So we will get to that. Our primary focus, however, is on gold mineralization in this developing area of the Red Lake Gold Camp. And uh, I'd be really surprised if Great Bear have all of the gold on their ground. I'm, I'm convinced there's going to be gold on our ground. We've seen the really good, strong alteration. We've seen pyrite, arsenopyrite, quartz carbonate veining, uh, felsic intrusions, good sericite, schist, um, lots of deformation, and, uh, and lots of tourmaline as well. So we think there's a really good environment there. But finding these deposits under significant overburden is not straightforward. It's one of the reasons that, you know, the gold price is going up and it does cost a bit more because you have to do more drilling and more, more sophisticated geophysics. The days of boot and hammer prospecting are pretty much over uh, in, in Canada, certainly. And talk about some of these logistical issues, because you mentioned, obviously, with the, with the base metals uh, and earlier you talked about, you have to come, maybe come back to it in winter because of the, the water components. I mean, what, what are the issues that you have been facing? You know what? To be quite honest, this project uh, straddles the highway to Red Lake. So it, the logistics are not really a big problem. We can drive all the way around the property. There's a ring road that goes all the way kind of down around the property. Uh, there's a highway, there's a gas line that goes into Red Lake, there are power lines on the property. So from a logistics point of view, this is about as good as it gets. And, and that does help us on the exploration front as well. It keeps our costs down. So if you're looking at doing diamond drilling, call it in the Arctic or somewhere where it's remote in Canada, you're probably looking at the better part of $1,000 a meter to drill. Whereas where we're drilling, we're probably on the order of $150 a meter. And, and depending on the volume and depth and whatnot, that can vary a bit, but, but very, 
very manageable drilling costs. Oh, right. Sorry, I, I read somewhere that you had you mentioned something about some logistical um, issues that you had to face over the winter. Well, the, there's a bit of a, I mean, you can have local logistical issues. So we had one creek. We think there's a big fault structure that comes down off the Great Bear Ground down the Dixie Creek Valley. So the Dixie Creek Valley, it's not, it's not a big issue, but it is a, a bit of a logistical issue uh, working around wetlands um, with drilling equipment. And so uh, it just, you need the ground frozen to get in into those kind of sensitive areas. So that was the only logistical issue there. And then the, the base metal target that we've got out under Packwash Lake is going to be a bit of a, a challenge. We either have to figure out how to work off an island or we have to wait until uh, until a freeze up next year and then we'll build an ice road and we'll drill off the ice. Okay, fantastic. Um, so what I'm hearing from you is you've got enough money to do more drilling towards the, we're certainly through Christmas. Um, we're waiting for these eight drill result assays to come back imminently. So when did you say they would be back? I, I think they should be coming back now. I mean, one of the things that's happened, and I, I don't think it's just a Canadian issue, but certainly the labs in Canada are backed up significantly. Uh, you know, typically when we go through one of these boom or, or busy periods in the junior mining industry, one of the first things that happens is the um, the labs get backed up and then the labs expand. And then right near the end of the, the cycle, the labs have all kinds of capacity and then the whole thing crashes. The, there's been quite a consolidation in the labs and so there are very few uh, lab companies left and they, they, they're managing their business pretty well and they're keeping things pretty tight. They're not expanding. And so the, the wait times are on the order of eight, eight weeks, 10 weeks sometimes now. And so it's, it's a bit of an issue. Okay. And do you th- obviously you don't want to raise money anytime soon. You, you've got enough for, for a drill program, but you don't want to raise any money anytime soon because 16 million market cap, you're just not there. There'd be too too dilutory for you, but you are going to have to run it down quite close to the wire as a result and hope that some of these drill results do have an effect on the market, as you say, do you have a hockey stick type of effect if, if you can show that you are on or somewhere near Great Bear's um, fault. Um, that's kind of nerving, nerve-wracking, isn't it? That's the industry we live in, and uh, we, we will deal with it. I mean, you know, as we get into the fall, uh, you know, we'll be drilling, we'll have activity, we'll have more asset results, we'll have more to add to the story. And then we, we'll get into flow-through season. If we uh, do get an opportunity to raise some money at a, at a premium, then we'll, we'll certainly do that. And then that'll carry us into the next year. But lots of work still to do, for sure. Okay, brilliant. Well, look, um, Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you um, uh, stepping in for uh, Paul. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Um, exciting times for you. Hope the drill results come through the way you hope. Yeah, and uh, you know this is how the junior mining industry works. And boy, when if we do make a discovery, it's the really exciting times. I mean, I was I was involved in Hemlo when uh, you know ten cent shares went to a hundred dollars and uh, Goliath and Golden Scepter. So I mean, those those are the kinds of things that keep me actually active and, and interested in what we're doing. And it's all about trying to find an opportunity and and see it develop. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.